G'day, and welcome to Stick Together, Australia's only dedicated national radio program focused on union news, workers' stories, and discussion of social justice issues. Stick Together is produced in the Melbourne studios of 3CR and broadcast right around the country on the Community Radio Network. My name is Matt Conkle. Migrant workers have always been an important part of our communities and our economy. Last year, a report was released showing rampant and extreme wage theft was the norm for these migrants. Last week, a follow-up report was released demonstrating that it's not just the scale of wage theft that's the issue, but that our system has built significant barriers for migrant workers to achieve wage justice. This week on the show, we speak with one of the report's authors, Laurie Berg, about the results and the recommendations in the report. Then, later we'll speak to George Robertson from the National Union of Workers about their organising program in migrant-dominated workplaces. But first, some union news. About 300 workers from Google's Sydney office have walked off the job. They joined thousands of other workers around the world taking action over the company's handling of allegations of sexual harassment in the workplace. The global strikes followed an article in the New York Times revealing that Google had paid millions in severance packages to senior male executives accused of sexual harassment. A reported 20,000 workers walked out from more than 50 of Google's international offices, including London, Dublin, New York, Tokyo, Manila, Vancouver, and Google's own headquarters just south of San Francisco. At rallies, workers from around the world recounted personal stories of workplace sexual harassment and a toxic culture of drunken lechery at company events. The workers are demanding improved reporting and transparency around sexual harassment claims. They're also demanding that the company publish an annual report on the issue and that the company take steps to address the gender wage gap. There are also demands to improve the job prospects of women in colour who, despite the company's global nature, remain underrepresented as a proportion of its employees. Finally, they are demanding that an employee representative be appointed to the board to ensure that these demands are met. The walkouts were organised in just over a week, and strike organisers say that the total number of participants represented roughly 20% of the company's workforce. The industrial campaign for new enterprise agreements in the New South Wales crane industry was bolstered last week by the win of workers at WGC Cranes after a two-week strike. Management had been trying to create a two-tiered wage structure and separate workers based on their locality, but the workers pressed for a single agreement and after winning have now returned back to work. Meanwhile, workers at mobile crane company Boom Logistics remain on an indefinite strike, now entering its fourth week. Workers there have also been struggling against wage stagnation and are demanding improved conditions at their employer, where some workers have not received a pay increase in more than six years. Workers at Boom are also fighting to be on the one agreement across three locations throughout regional New South Wales. You can donate to support the workers by heading to boomwgc.raisley.com. That's Boom wgc.raisley.com Dozens of nurses and aged care workers held a rally outside the Kuinda aged care facility in the regional Queensland town of Gympie last week. Members of the Queensland Nurses and Midwives Union took the action in support of demands that the facility address excessive workloads and improve the level of care for patients. The union claims that the Kuinda facility has only one nurse for the 160 residents, which includes 25 dementia patients. Staff at Kuinda report regularly working through their breaks, starting early and staying late just to meet the minimum standards. For their dedication, the company has offered them a pay rise of just 1% per year. 
Their industrial campaign is being waged parallel to the Australian Nursing and Midwifery Federation's campaign that demands the federal government introduce mandatory staff ratios across the nation. The union is highlighting that while there are mandatory staff minimums in the early childhood education and state hospital systems, corporate aged care is currently not required to provide minimum staffing levels. Unions and resident advocates claim that this is leaving many aged care residents without proper access to treatment and is leading to a lower level of care than the community expects. The federal government remains uncommitted to the union's call for staff ratios in aged care. You're listening to Stick Together, workers' stories and union news. Broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. A report entitled Wage Theft in Silence was released last week by researchers from the University of Technology Sydney and the University of New South Wales. The report built on a 2017 report by the same authors, revealing that a sizable proportion of Australia's migrant workers were being paid less than half the minimum wage. This report dug deeper into that group of workers to find out if they'd tried to recover their wages, and if so, how much success they'd had. The report showed that more than 9 out of every 10 migrant workers who knew they were being underpaid had taken no action to try and recover their wages. Of those that did try, very few had any success in recovering wages. In a result that surprised many, more than 60% of workers who approached the Fair Work Ombudsman for assistance did not recover any of their wages at all. The report laid out damning failures of a system that makes it almost impossible for migrants to achieve wage justice. To learn more, we're now joined by Laurie Berg, a senior lecturer in the Faculty of Law at the University of Technology Sydney, co-director of the Migrant Worker Justice Initiative and one of the authors of the report. Laurie, thanks very much for joining us on Stick Together. Thanks so much for having me, Matt. Can you give us a brief overview of the results that are contained in the report you released recently? Yeah, well, we we surveyed over 4,000 international students, backpackers and other migrant workers on a temporary visa. We found that most of them are earning well below the minimum wage and then fewer than one in 10 took any action to get the wages that they were owed. So the overwhelming majority suffered in silence, even though most knew that they were underpaid. So I think we're looking at a situation where Australia clearly has a large underclass of hundreds of thousands of underpaid migrant workers Um, And we actually estimate that the scale of unclaimed wages may be well over a billion dollars. So the report shows that roughly half of the migrant workers surveyed are earning less than $15 an hour or less. Uh, And it also shows that nine out of 10 workers who were underpaid did nothing about it or didn't try to recover wages. What do you think this says about the system in Australia for workers and the ability for them to recover their wages? Well, I think what's also really telling is that then we also found among the very few who did take action, even after all that effort, most of them never recovered their wages. So we feel that the study confirms that the system is really not working for migrant workers. It's it's clear that the Fair Work Ombudsman has made great efforts in the last couple of years to bring a bunch of high-profile cases against exploiting employers, but they are not set up to deal with individual wage claims or complaints, especially by vulnerable workers. They're not a workers' advocate, and they only investigate a very small number of claims. So it's clear that for most migrant workers, it's still too hard and doesn't make or doesn't make sense to try to go to the Fair Work Ombudsman for assistance to recover their wages. So we weren't surprised that among Among the over 2,000 underpaid participants in our survey, only 3% contacted the Fair Work Ombudsman for help 
and well over half of that small number got nothing. So you could understand from a migrant worker's perspective why it's just not worth the significant time and effort and the potential risks to their visa that they perceive in going to the Fair Work Ombudsman. Why is it that so few workers are approaching the Fair Work Ombudsman? And furthermore, why is it that such a large majority of them aren't recovering any wages when they do so? Look, they're really good questions and can't be answered from our survey. We did not ask workers why they got the responses they did from the Fair Work Ombudsman. But there clearly are barriers facing migrant workers going to the Fair Work Ombudsman and also then clearly actually getting an outcome from the the flow. I mean, and as I said, I think that one of the reasons why they get a bad outcome is that the flow is just not set up to actually deal with individual claims. So there is very few people who, workers who contact the the Fair Work Ombudsman for assistance, uh, don't get assistance in calculating their wages, trying to understand what their entitlements are under the relevant award and so on. And so the Fair Work Ombudsman will often determine that really this comes down to a difference of a difference of opinion between the employer and the employee as to whether there was an underpayment. And at that point, the Fair Work Ombudsman may not take it further and refer the worker to a small claims jurisdiction in, in a court which is far beyond the ability of most young temporary migrant workers to, um, to access. In terms of the fact that migrant workers will tend often to not go to the Fair Work Ombudsman, that point comes out actually very clearly when we drilled down in our survey and looked at the position of international students. Now, there's a common perception um, among at, at the Fair Work Ombudsman and in the community that international students just will not come forward to recover their wages uh, for a range of reasons. You know, I guess the, the, the theory is that they are afraid of losing their visa status or just don't want to come to the attention of authorities. And the flow assumes that because there is it's clear that very few international students, even compared to backpackers, actually go to the Fair Work Ombudsman for assistance. So we were extremely interested to find that, in fact, international students who answered our survey were just as likely as backpackers to, to try to recover their wages, but they just, unlike backpackers, they didn't go to the Fair Work Ombudsman. They went somewhere else, often to their own education institution, their university or college for assistance. So... And when we asked um, participants of our survey whether they were open to wage recovery, even more international students were open to taking action than, um, than backpackers, which suggests that there is a lot of enthusiasm among international students to do something when they are underpaid, but that they are just not going to the Fair Work Ombudsman. And what do your results say about the type and availability of support services for migrant workers who are experiencing wage theft? Well, people often assume that migrant workers don't want to report underpayment, either because they just won't come forward no matter what, or for a variety of reasons related to themselves, personal limitations. So our survey paints a very different picture. Even though very few migrant workers came forward overall to take action against underpayment, most were open to trying to claim wages. So that suggests that there's real cause for optimism. If we can fix institutional processes and make it practically possible for migrant workers to come forward and make it make sense for them to come forward because they'll actually get a result, then there's no lack of enthusiasm among international students and backpackers to try and um, recover the wages that they're owed. Now, in terms of other personal limitations, it's often thought that 
migrants from a different sort of legal, cultural background might not come forward because they don't understand the system in Australia or wouldn't want to make waves or that they don't know minimum wage rates in Australia. And again, we found that those two reasons were not the reason why people weren't actually taking action. In fact, migrant work, uh, sorry, Asian migrants were the most open to taking action and the vast majority of the migrant workers we surveyed who were earning $15 or less in their lowest paid job, they knew that the minimum wage was higher. So we found other, actually more rational reasons why international students and backpackers aren't coming forward. A quarter were afraid of losing their visa and close to half didn't try simply because they didn't know what to do or where to go. And then many were pessimistic that they would actually get their wages back if they tried. And to be honest, I mean, we found that pessimism warranted. The report makes a number of recommendations. Can you let us know what you're calling on government and regulators to do? Um, I think that the, the findings are deeply troubling, but this is also a good news story because some of the really significant barriers stopping migrant workers from reporting wage theft can be practically addressed, but we need a new or better process that enables migrant workers to claim unpaid wages. It's clear that um, making a request for assistance at the Fair Work Ombudsman at this point is, is not working for most migrant workers. We need much better resource union and support to other support services because workers clearly need to be assisted in order to approach their employer or a court um, or take other collective action in order to recover their unpaid wages. And crucially, we also need a guarantee for migrant workers that if they report wage theft, their visa won't be jeopardised because that is a really critical fear that currently stops people from coming forward. And that's something that your report pulls out as well, isn't it? This idea that there should be a firewall between the Department of Home Affairs and the Fair Work Ombudsman. How critical is that for improving the situation for migrant workers? Look, it's absolutely essential. At, at, at present and since last year, there has been a protocol in place between the Fair Work Ombudsman and the Department of Immigration or Home Affairs. This protocol seeks to assure migrant workers that if they come forward to the Fair Work Ombudsman, the Department of Home Affairs won't take action to cancel their visa. But it only applies to a subset of migrant workers, not everyone who has worked contrary to their visa conditions. And in order to actually get that protection, the Fair Work Ombudsman needs to tell the Department of Home Affairs that that person has come forward. So it doesn't operate in any way as a firewall, and it's clearly not at this stage reassuring international students, for instance, who have worked more than the hours permitted on their visa to trust that their visa won't be jeopardised if they approach the Fair Work Ombudsman. We need something, a much stronger protection than that. The, the other issue about this firewall is that it might protect the international students' current visa, but if they have a view or a, a desire for permanent residency, there's no guarantee that their future, their future visas are actually protected, is there? That's exactly right. So we, we clearly need some sort of, well, either a firewall or, or also some form of amnesty that would regularise migrant workers' status long enough for them to actually pursue a claim for unpaid wages because the current system pits immigration laws trumping labour laws and, you know, that has the effect of driving down labour rights for, for everyone working in this country. So this is the second big report that you've released through the Migrant Workers Justice Initiative and in conjunction with the University of New South Wales and University of Technology, Sydney. What's next? Well, um, 
it's actually not the end of this, of course. I mean, this is an ongoing issue and we will continue to press for uh, reforms which will um, enable migrant workers to come forward. Uh, in fact, the New South Wales government has just funded us to work with the international education sector to look at what universities and colleges can do to help their international students. So clearly this is a matter for a range of different stakeholders to change the both the underlying exploitation and then also the systems of redress for international students and backpackers in Australia. Laurie Burke, thanks very much for joining us on Stick Together. Thanks so much, Matt. You're listening to Stick Together, union news and workers' stories broadcast right around the country on the Community Radio Network. That was Laurie Berg, Senior Lecturer at UTS and co-author of the report, Wage Theft in Silence. One of the results in the report was that workers who chased unpaid wages with the assistance of unions were more than twice as likely to recover some or all of their wages. The National Union of Workers has been working on a program focused on organising the largely migrant workers in the farming industries. Joining us now is George Robertson, lead organiser with the NUW to discuss some of these issues facing migrant workers in that sector. George, thanks for joining us. No problem, Matt. The report released recently about wage theft amongst migrant workers showed that migrants experience a number of barriers to recover unpaid wages. From your union's experience in organising migrant workers, what are the most significant barriers? basic issues with uh, accessing and using the legal system to recover your wages. What the report shows pretty comprehensively is that the legal system uh, in Australia uh, through which workers are invited to try to recover their wages is broken. Um, It's slow, it's expensive, there are huge opportunities for employers to avoid their responsibility, there's huge opportunities for the host employers to avoid their responsibility dealing with underpayments Um, and that what the report shows is that uh, workers who are underpaid, uh, the barriers are not cultural barriers, the barriers aren't their personal limitations that they didn't know that they were being underpaid or that they were happy with the wages but rather that they're making a rational assessment about how difficult it is to hold their employers accountable and most of them are deciding not to pursue underpayments. Uh, Those who do pursue underpayments and do so through the union and collectively with their workmates, well, the report shows that those are the workers who had the best outcome. 79% of the workers surveyed in the report said that they knew the minimum wage was higher than what they were receiving. Why is it that we find migrant workers in, in this situation where they are knowingly being underpaid but unable to do anything about it? Well, I think it's, it's, it's common sense, really. I mean, it's, it's one thing to know you're being screwed. It's another thing to know... Uh, what you can do about it. And I think it's it's fair to say that there are massive barriers in the workplace to, to workers, um, you know, tackling underpayment issues. And a, a lot of, in a lot of cases, uh, particularly for migrant workers, people are being employed by third parties, so by labour hire contractors. Often they're just individuals who are paying workers cash, not issuing them with a pay slip. They're one or two uh, uh, places removed from the host employer. And so it's very, very difficult for migrant workers, particularly individually, to confront both their direct employer and the host employer to recover their lost money. A quarter of those workers who knew they were being underpaid said that 
they wouldn't try to take any action to recover these wages because everyone around them was also being underpaid. Has endemic wage theft in certain industries created a new floor price for labour that's well below the legal minimum wage? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's in our experience in, in horticulture, there's a massive culture of impunity uh, among employers who, are, who, as I said, are, are labour hire contractors in the main. And what they've done is create a minimum... Uh, impl- a minimum rate of pay that is, you know, we see commonly ten or twelve dollars less than the minimum wage, and so it's it's absolutely the case that that wage theft is endemic, particularly in certain industries in the economy, and that uh, underpayment is is so rife that moving workers from cash up to the award can sometimes result in workers getting paid getting a ten or twelve dollar an hour wage increase. Workers who are being underpaid and know their workmates are being underpaid as well, as you say, can receive some incredible increases to their earnings if they take action. What we have seen as well is that where workers have sought assistance from unions in recovering these wages, they were more than twice as likely to achieve some or all their wages. Why do you think unions have been so successful compared to other methods of of wage recovery? It's common sense to most people who are listening to this program that the best way to tackle any workplace issue is to do it collectively and and that's what this report comprehensively confirms. In a situation where one worker is being underpaid it's highly likely that most other people are also being underpaid so when workers can come together and collectively bring pressure to bear on on their employer or their contractor they're much more likely to be able to recover their, their wages and the statistics in the report are pretty pretty damning. 91% of people didn't even try to recover those wages. 67% of people who did try got nothing. But of the workers who joined the union and acted collectively, 70% of those workers recovered either all or some of their money, uh, compared to 42% of those workers who contacted the Ombudsman for assistance. But only 4% of the report's participants reported being a member of a union compared to the approximately 11% in the private sector. Why do you think migrants are underrepresented in the union movement and what, what can be done about it? I think there's, there's two reasons. One, one is unions haven't done enough to change the way they organise to have a focus on organising migrant workers. But also, uh, a lot of the times, workers don't have real access to unions in the workplace. And this is you know, union access to workers has been something that's been comprehensively eroded over the last 20 years. And, and it's the case that most workers who arrive to work in Australia, you know, don't have a real opportunity to meet with unions. Um, and this is one of the key reforms that, that we are uh, asking for is the extension of mandatory um, union education or union involvement in labour rights education for all temporary migrant workers because what we found is that those visas that already have those requirements in the seasonal worker program, for example, where there must be a mandatory briefing for all workers who come in on that visa, where uh, workers are introduced to the union, it means that they have an opportunity to join the union and therefore to enforce their rights, but also they know who to talk to when problems arise. And so this is something that we see as a key reform for extending the benefits of that opportunity to all temporary migrant workers. A quarter of workers who said they'd been underpaid did nothing about it because of a fear of a negative immigration outcome, either deportation or a loss of a pathway to residency. How are the current immigration policies in Australia affecting the ability for migrant workers to achieve justice in the workplace? It's too easy for employers, particularly labour hire contractors, to use people's 
visa status and and vast majority of workers being on temporary migrant worker visas as a tool to prevent them from taking any kind of action in the workplace. And so this we've seen time and time again that when workers do stand up, they're threatened with being reported to immigration or uh, workers who are seeking to use farm work, for example, to get their 88 days and get their second year visa. They're told that if they speak up, then they the employer won't sign their paperwork to get their second visa. Just speaking about this 88 days, so people on working holidays can go and work for a year in a city, but if they want to get a second year, they have to do this 88 days in a regional area. And to get this second period, as I understand it, they need the employer's grace effectively to sign off to get this second year. Doesn't that just create a license for these regional employers to exploit temporary migrant workers on a put up or shut up basis? Well, yeah, obviously it does. I mean, anything that that, that binds uh, a worker to their employer, either to keep a visa or to get a visa, inherently creates a power imbalance that if an unscrupulous labour hire contractor or an employer wants to exploit that, they can, and we see it happening time and time again. But it's not just a problem for backpackers, it's a problem for seasonal workers who are told if they speak up, they'll never come back to Australia again. It's a problem for workers who are on protection visas or other refugee visas. So it's, a, it's across the board. Uh, and there are too many opportunities for employers to use workers' visa status to undermine them taking action. Just finally, the report acknowledges that it doesn't include a lot of material from undocumented or, as it calls, unauthorised workers. Do you think that the issues outlined in this report are actually much worse given your work with undocumented workers? Absolutely. I mean, the, the, this report is based on interviews with largely with um, backpackers and with international students. In the horticulture industry, for example, at least half of the workforce are undocumented workers. And so uh, some of the things that have been highlighted in the report not just replicated among undocumented workers, but are much, much worse, where workers are having their passports confiscated, where workers pay huge sums of money to dodgy migration agents to uh, apply for visas and are then bonded to that agent or that labour hire contractor and have to live in their accommodation and have to work on their farms. And so this is a system that uh, operates completely outside the purview of the rest of the industry and and, and where the problems that that you've read about in the report are, are much, much more worse. Well, George, we have to leave it there, but thanks very much for joining us on Stick Together. No problem. Thanks, Matt. That's all we have time for this week on the show. Thanks to both Laurie and George for joining us. If you'd like to get your hands on a copy of Laurie's report, just fire up your favourite search engine and type in Wage Theft in Silence. Stick Together is produced in the Melbourne studios of 3CR with generous financial assistance from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The show's broadcast right around the country on the Community Radio Network, but you can do your bit to keep workers' stories on the air by calling your local community radio station and subscribing today. You can contact the producers of the show by calling us on 03-9419-8377 or sending us an email at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook. Just search for Stick Together Program. The podcast of this week's show and other episodes can be found at www.3cr.org.au forward slash stick together. You can also find it on iTunes. Don't forget to leave your feedback. We always love to get your comments. Finally, remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there is a union for you. I'm Matt Kunkel. Until next time, stick together. <laughs>